Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 9, Miri. Welcome and thank you for joining us on another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on the Mission Log, we set a course through each episode of Star Trek and then radio back a subspace message to say what we found. We like to dig into the stories one by one to see if there are morals or important bits of wisdom to share with a 21st century audience. This week, we're here to bonk bonk you over the head with some nuggets of Star Trek knowledge gleaned from the episode, Miri. And by the way, we want to hear from you. As much as this may feel like a one-way thing, no, Mission Log is a two-way street. We want your comments, your ideas, and your feedback. Hit us up on Twitter, at Mission Log pod or email us missionlog at roddenberry.com you can even leave us a voicemail on skype at missionlog pod or call us at 323-522-5641 remember your comments may be played on a future episode of mission log and we should of course mention the website as well missionlogpodcast.com sometimes there are deals there sometimes it's just neat to see what's happening what's coming up we've also got our archives there but those are accessible or accessible, rather, through iTunes as well. MissionLogPodcast.com for that. Ken, do you think that people will want to listen to our archives after listening to today's show, Miri? I feel like we've been on. I feel like we've been on this this trajectory. Season one of Star Trek is great. We've had a lot of high points here, and there are many more high points yet to come. And then. And what, then are you, I what are you saying? Mary. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you? What, I, I'm not sure what you're implying. Are you saying that, you know, are you saying that when we answer the question at the end, does this episode stand the test of time that the assumption is that the answer is going to be yes? I'm going to wait until we get to the end of the episode right. to answer that question. <laughs> I, I, I just I'm not sure what you're implying. That's all. Well. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. I'm, I'm saying that, uh, well, yeah, we'll just yeah. wait until we get to the end of the episode here. Um, the episode, Miri. Um, I, I do want to mention here that there are a couple of interesting points about this show. Um, there are a ton of celebrity children or children of celebrities in this episode. Thanks to the nepotism of the fine people at Desilu Studios, you actually have William Shatner's daughter. I believe she was about five years old uh, when she was in this episode he's holding her toward the end of the episode oh. uh, mm-hmm. okay. that's the one uh, you have Gene Roddenberry's daughter one of his daughters in this episode and then Greg Morris who I'm sure that you know from Mission Impossible they were shooting just down in the next studio on the Desilu lot and uh, his daughter was in this now did I see that the woman who played Mary was actually she was in the original True Grit I believe mm, you're right yeah yeah I can't remember her name. I feel terrible about that. But I, in <laughs> fairness, I can't remember the name of the woman who was in the most recent True Grit either, the young woman who was in that. So it's, it, it's like, who was nominated for an Academy Award? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's John yeah. Wayne and Jeff Bridges, and then everybody else is pretty much the cast of True Grit, it seems. I guess Matt Damon was in one of them, too. Probably not the one from the 60s. 
Right. <laughs> uh, Kim Darby is the name of the actress. Ah, thank you very who, much. Who played Mary, and she was in True Grit, and she has a really distinctive look. So you would probably even recognize her today as an adult. Um, she has continued to work uh, throughout uh, the the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. Um, she had appearances in some uh, horror stuff. She did uh, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Uh, she was in a, a lot of stuff. She has a very distinctive character look. Although not nearly as distinctive character-wise as uh, our good friend Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> yes. I, I was so excited to see him because he is just all kinds of crazy and just about everything yeah. he turns up in. And I'm not saying that about him personally. I don't know personally. But when you get Michael J. Pollard on the screen, you've almost always got fun. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah, well, almost. And here's the thing. So he was 27 years old. Yeah, that was playing, a problem. Yeah, playing this young character um, in in uh, Miri. But he brings the weird. He does bring the weird. Okay, let's back up. Not mm-hmm. a young character, a prepubescent character. Yeah. 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 He, but he does, he does bring the weird. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I honestly felt like maybe this role was a little understated for him. Yeah, right. Because he can really bring the weird in such a fun way. It's not dangerous. It's not like when Dennis Hopper comes on screen. Right. It's more like, you know, just I have no idea what's going to happen now just because that guy's right there. And, yeah. you know, in fairness, you didn't really know what was going to happen here either. But, <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. He brings the weird in a really fun way. I like him a lot. And he has been in just about everything that ever was. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure that you've seen him, our dear listeners. I'm sure you've seen him many, many times. But uh, look for him here, Michael J. Pollard. John is sort of the leader of the kids who are on this planet. So um, let's get into the story, shall we? Why not? A plague, a planet, a band of truants, sharpen your pencils, lots of them, as we say hello to Miri. The Enterprise, somewhere in space, detects an Earth-style distress signal emanating from a nearby planet. The planet? It's Earth! Or so we think. Act 1. The Enterprise enters orbit around this exact duplicate of Earth, and Kirk leads a landing party to check it out. You've got Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Yeoman Rand, and a couple of red shirts. Kirk thinks that this backlot, excuse me, Earth, looks like 1900. Spock corrects him to say that it more closely resembles 1960. Either way, it's a mess. Buildings are falling apart, there's junk everywhere, and McCoy is amused by a creepy, rusted tricycle. Suddenly, a young man runs in to wrestle the tricycle away from McCoy. Kirk easily defeats the rotting, zombie-like humanoid with a couple of punches, and McCoy remarks that the creature is starting to have a seizure. Before they can do anything about it, it's dead, and McCoy's instruments reveal that this poor soul died from a kind of rapid aging. It's as if he aged a century in a matter of minutes. Fearing more of the creatures, Kirk and the crew attempt to take shelter in one of the abandoned buildings. Inside, they find a frightened teenage girl who is not at all a scary, rotting zombie creature. She is terrified of the crew, though, and Kirk sends Spock and the crewmen, let's just call them A and B, out to have a look around. 
The young woman, Miri, explains that the Grups, or grown-ups on her planet, are to blame for whatever catastrophe occurred. The Grups all got sick and died. Miri doesn't understand the details. She actually thinks their ignorance is some sort of game, and McCoy thinks some sort of plague or natural disaster may be to blame. Kirk reassures Miri that they are here to help. Now Kirk's just trying to be nice here, but he's got that charm going on, and Miri is not immune to that either. Spock and the two red shirts are exploring the town ruins, but they are definitely being watched. Children's voices start taunting them, and the three find themselves in the line of fire for rocks and other debris being hurled off the buildings. Spock returns and explains that there were definitely children around, but they scurried away and couldn't be found. Kirk and McCoy think Miri may be able to help them find some sort of records about what happened. Just as Kirk has won her over, Miri notices a purple lesion on Kirk's hand. Now she's even more terrified, saying that she knew this would happen. Act 2. Miri has led the crew to the source of the automated distress call, as well as a trove of information about the mystery illness, which has now spread to everyone on the landing party, except for Mr. Spock. McCoy starts a makeshift lab trying to get to the bottom of this. He orders some more equipment beamed down from the ship, but Kirk puts the kibosh on any more crew members joining them. Spock is going through the papers left behind in this science lab and discovers that the inhabitants of this planet were involved in a life extension program some 300 years ago. Spock postulates that the children remaining on the planet benefited from their research, but somehow it went wrong and killed all the adults. All this occurred about 300 years ago, and Kirk assumes that by reaching puberty, the disease kicks in. Now, that would answer why there are no adults to be found. Rand and Spock also break it to Kirk that Miri might have a bit of an emotional attachment to him. She's growing up, but we all know what happens now when you grow up on this planet. Spock calculates that the life extension experiment stretched out life so that every one month equaled about a hundred years. These kids are hundreds of years old, but they aren't maturing. They're still children, and they haven't had adult supervision for a few centuries now. Now we get a look at the kids. They're hiding out in an old toy shop, and John is there as Stott's leader. He knows they have to get rid of the adults. He guesses there are other grups somewhere since he has seen the landing party talking to them remotely. Kirk and Miri are heading their way, so all the kids hide. But at that moment, a stricken young woman covered in lesions and screaming terrifies the group. Kirk shoots her with his phaser, but even on the stun setting, it kills Louise, who is a friend of Miri's. Miri says that Louise was only a little bit older than she is now. Back in the lab, Kirk's got Miri doing some busy work while Spock breaks the bad news that all the adults' days are numbered. He also reveals that he is a carrier. Even if all the humans die, Spock can't return to the Enterprise unless they can eliminate the pathogen. Act 3. McCoy announces that he has discovered that the disease is essentially a chain of viruses that act upon each other. Kirk says, simple, reverse it. The kids start their taunting again, and when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy leave the room, they find their communicators have been stolen. Without contact to the Enterprise, the computing and diagnostic ability of the landing party is severely limited. Tempers flare, and the disease is affecting the crew psychologically as well as physically. Rand has a bit of a breakdown about the lesions now marring her otherwise perfect legs, and she reveals that she has always wanted Kirk to take notice of her on board the Enterprise. Miri oversees this moment and starts to feel left out. McCoy has a bit of a breakthrough, but Miri has run off to Jean and the rest of the kids to hatch a plan to get Rand out of the way as a distraction for Kirk. Act 4. 
In the lab, Kirk is demanding Miri tell him where Rand is. Spock and McCoy are getting worked up about having come so close in their search for a cure, but it can't be tested without the communicators to call back to the ship for confirmation. Spock says the cure could be a beaker full of death without the right testing. Kirk tries to appeal to Miri's emotional attachment to him to get her to help. He explains that she too is growing up and she will die. He shows her that she too has purple lesions on her arms. Miri leads Kirk again to the kids where they are holding Rand. Kirk puts on his not screwing around face to make the kids listen to him. He's about had enough. There will be no more games, no more adults, no more kids, nothing if they don't get the communicators back. The kids start to attack him, and he shows that he too has a disease just like every other one of them will someday too. They will run out of food. They won't be able to take care of each other. Kirk has taken a beating, and he shows this group of kids that there's blood on their hands now. It's not just a grown-up problem. He pleads with them to let him help. Oh, and Kirk literally throws a kid to the floor. McCoy, meanwhile, is fed up with waiting for Kirk to rationalize with a bunch of kids. When Spock leaves the room, McCoy exhibits some very bad scientific judgment and experiments on himself with the vaccine he has created. He violently falls to the floor. Kirk comes rushing in with a group of kids just as Spock has found McCoy. The lesions are fading away in a good little piece of optical effects work, I must add. And Kirk is relieved to see that the vaccine does work. We'll just assume that McCoy will return to consciousness before too long. Finally, we're back on the Enterprise where we learn that some outfit called Space Central will be providing an education for these little hellions. Rand reminds Kirk that Miri really did love him, but Kirk quips that he never gets involved with older women. Hey, can I just point out something great about this episode? Can you? Yeah, yeah, I can. Go uh, we for have it. Two, we have two unnamed red shirts, and they did not die. I know. When they didn't get names, I, I think they actually did say their names at one point, but when Spock devolved to calling them guards, <laughs> because that's how he refers to them, guards. Yeah, yeah like um, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I really thought yeah. they were going to die, or I thought maybe they were going to die of the uh, advanced decrepitude disease. Um, I, I thought so, too. It would have been yeah. maybe too dark to have them die at the hands of a bunch of children. Um, <laughs> that would have been horribly <laughs> dark. Know, that would have been awful. Although, and then maybe the disease just, you know, you had to have everybody kind of aging at approximately the same pace. If, however, well, yeah, mm-hmm. but they kept saying, like, the, per- the oldest person was the one who was going to get it first, and that was obviously McCoy. Uh, it was not right, the guards. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it would have been weird if they had died at the hands of the disease first. Um, those kids could not have killed security guards, though, because there are, what, like 15 to 20 of them surrounding right. Kirk, hitting him. Right. And, they, yeah, they bloody him, but he just walks out. Yeah. I mean, once he decides that he's done being hit, he just leaves their little <laughs> group of people hitting <laughs> right. him. Right. Which is kind of, yeah. that was kind of, I thought, wow, I would have thought he'd be dead. What, is, mm-hmm. what does bonk bonk mean on their planet? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, getting hit in the head with a hammer, I mean, e- even if it is the hands of a child, <laughs> if you've got 20 kids beating you over the head with a right. hammer, yeah, it, well, it's, then, yeah. Yeah, you got something there. Right. You got right. problems there, generally speaking, but not these kids, apparently. Well, no. there, there's been nobody to teach them how to kill people with a hammer. Oh, well, that's very true. Not yeah. for several hundred years. 
Um, it, it, here's the first note that I took on this episode. Okay. Um, it, because as our audience may or may not know, you, you and I watch these episodes several times yeah. before we do a show. And we take notes like crazy. We're just writing down everything. We're reading about the episodes. We're doing everything we can to be as, as thorough and detailed as possible. And I have to admit, the first note that I took, and I will read it verbatim, it's Earth, but it's not Earth. This is stupid. <laughs> you okay. know? Well, uh, but it, and here's the thing. All, I, all right. So you could go a million ways with that concept. You right. really could. Yes. Um, I, I even read a, a fascinating bit of uh, maybe retconning, like uh, from one of the novels, um, where somebody speculated, well, well, what if you have this like advanced alien civilization, you know, maybe not unlike the Telosians who created this planet as a testing ground, you know, kind of playing with humanity. Because mm-hmm. we, throughout this episode, we have to assume that these are human children because the biology is acting like human biology, at least right. as far as McCoy is concerned. So there's all these ways to go. There's all these really interesting roads to go down with this idea of an exact Earth duplicate elsewhere in the galaxy. But no, we just kind of forget the whole thing after the prologue. And that's the part that makes it stupid. I mean, because yes. you, you're right. There are many different ways that you could play with this. Like, have they slipped into an alternate timeline? Have they, you know, or, you know, is there some advanced civilization that, that's making an exact duplicate? I mean, what is going on here? Um, but once they get sick, we kind of forget about that. Yeah. And then at the end of the episode, we find out that Space Central is going to be sending people to take care of the kids. <laughs> right. I, I think that's where uh, that's where Captain Video worked, wasn't it? Was Space Central? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we find out that Space Central is going to be sending that. I mean, do they mention, oh, by the way, it looks exactly like Earth, so don't freak out. <laughs> I, I think maybe this is a Starfleet joke. They just they don't tell anybody that it looks exactly like Earth. That's an awesome and idea. Every time you send somebody there, and maybe in the future, in the 23rd century, you have a YouTube channel dedicated to reactions of people who arrive at this planet and realize that it's a copy of Earth. Like Candid Camera? Exactly. That's kind of funny. Everybody shows up, like, whoa, it's just like Earth, <laughs> you know? Do you think they turn around and go back, though, because they think they've gone around? What happened? Right. Did you, yeah. How, how oh, did we end up back here? Did you take? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I knew I should have taken a left turn at Andromeda. Or, right. Or something. Right. Right. Not Albuquerque. It's different. You get the idea. Uh, there are some interesting things to point out here in this episode. Uh, first of all, Beaker Full of Death uh, is a great line. And I hope that Warp 11 writes a song one day called Beaker Full of Death. Yeah. Uh, of course, B- Warp 11 uh, providing some of the music for our show. So I'm just going to, that's a freebie for them. I'm going to throw out that uh, suggestion. Right. Other interesting things. It's kind of fun to see Kirk and the crew bicker with each other a lot uh, as the disease is affecting them psychologically because we haven't seen that a lot. We've seen everybody get a little loopy in the naked time. Right. But we haven't seen them just kind of lose their cool a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, you saw you saw Alt Kirk or Dark Kirk or whichever one you want to call it in the Enemy Within, but mm-hmm. you didn't actually right. You don't see the bickering kind of thing. Yeah. I and mean, he was just outright. Well, again, yeah. as we discussed on that episode, I don't like to say he was outright evil, but he was he was one type of person. But yeah, it wasn't bickering. It wasn't like sometimes Alt Kirk was nice, and then you know he would suddenly turn on you. It's right. a bit. It's a bit like though uh, in uh, what little girls are made of when you know out of nowhere Kirk says. 
you know, yells at Spock, but it's actually Kirk Bot. And now we're talking more about the last episode. Can I just go ahead and say it? Can I just say it point blank? The last episode was more fun. I mean, if you yes. take if you take this episode apart, there is a bunch of really interesting stuff, and yet, yes, yes. Um, that thing that that you know holds it all together mm-hmm. uh, seems to be a missing ingredient in yeah. this episode. It's 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 a little, it's it's even more disjointed than the beginning of what little girls are made of. Uh, right, was, or what are little girls made of? Excuse me. It's even more disjointed than you know the one with Rock. It's, yeah. it's it's a bit more disjointed than the beginning of that one. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. I, I think it's it's a cool idea, mm-hmm. but it, it is just very disjointed. Um, here's one more little amusing thing that I like, though, uh, before we get into our uh, deep philosophical discussion, because frankly, that's the only kind of discussion we can have about this show. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just found it I found it very amusing that uh, they would constantly try to distract Mary with busy work. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's Kirk making her uh, uh, sharpen pencils. Yeah. You know? Clean uh, oh, no, no, no. We're, we're going to need more of those. Oh, yeah. and uh, clean my desk while you're at it. So, you know, yeah. he says to Rand, hey, uh, take her for a walk. You know, the adults need to talk. Right. <laughs> you know? and, and I found that really kind of bizarre because it was like, well, wait a minute. Here's an opportunity to break through to one of these children. She's right. already curious about you. If she has a better understanding of what's going on, maybe this will help you down the road. Yeah. But, well, but and, no. And, and there is a weird thing, though, I mean, where she is just on the cusp of uh, puberty, on mm-hmm. just on the cusp of maturity. I mean, is he trying to protect her innocence or is he assuming that she won't understand or is he thinking, uh, I don't need kids mucking up what I'm working on? I mean, it, it's tough to it's tough to know why he kept doing that. But yeah, it was very pointed. It was very de- clean up that table yeah. for me, would you, Mary? Hey, thanks. yeah. <laughs> no, we need more pencils, darling. Please continue. <laughs> Either way, it's it's just a whole lot of assumption on Kirk's part, and uh, it, it seems it seems a little odd. Like it's kind of funny every time you notice it, <laughs> but when you're like, come on, this girl can do better than just sharpen pencils, surely. Lost Boys and Lost Girls on an exact copy of Earth. Sounds like a recipe for a great episode, but is it? So after a couple of viewings, I would say that there are ideas, messages, morals, philosophies that you can pull out of this episode if you want to, but this tends to be one of the ones like, um, I can't think of which one off the top of my head. But I mean, this is one that doesn't have like an overriding message. This is not, this is not save the earth or, you know, save the other earth for that matter. Um, this is not, you know, about greed. This is not about lust. This is not about envy. Um, but there's not, there's not like one message. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper, I know, I know you can find some. Well, there are interesting things here, for sure. I mean, I, I think the thing that I like most about this is that it is a dark take on Peter Pan. You know, in Peter Pan, you have all the kids in Never Never Land who won't grow up. And it, it takes a, you know, sort of minor conflicts, minor disruption of their lives to get them to come back to the real world and 
grow up with real families. And in this, you've got a bunch of kids living in Never Never Land who also won't grow up, but they do hit that realization maybe hundreds of centuries from now, if that calculation of uh, you know how slowly they will age, that they will die and they will run out of food and they will <laughs> run out of resources and they don't know how to take care of each other. So, right. you know, the, the, this is the, the, the dark side of that story, which, you know, kind of have the same moral or the same message in the end, which is, well, you, you do need to grow up. There, you know, there was this weird kind of um, bit of happenstance with not only would they eventually be killed by the disease, but after looking around, uh, they figured out that there was only about six months of food left for the kids. Yeah, so they had exactly 300 years and six months of food <laughs> on that planet, which was yeah. kind of odd. Well, just in the immediate in the immediate area. Right. But, but you can't right. really expect kids to go, you know, to the next town over because they weren't driving or, you know riding bikes yeah. the only tricycle they had was broken yeah so i mean there's yeah. really no way to no way to get there yeah and that I mean, back lot is is that back lot is just a bunch of facades you go behind them and there's is nothing there yeah. okay but here's the thing though all the all the grown-ups <laughs> were dead i mean so yeah. so to examine this because peter pan i mean um wendy and and um her brothers whose names i can't think of left home yeah and then, you know, decided that where they needed to be was home. And so they went back home. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a little bit, there's a bit of a difference here from, um, from Peter Pan. You might actually go Lord of the Flies, although it's not as dark as Lord of the Flies was. It's definitely right, darker right. than Peter Pan was. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, kids sort of left to their own, um, then having a problem sort of societally or dealing, you know, with, um, dealing with adults once they encounter them again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in Lord of the Flies, you know, you, you it, that's about the power structure and right. and what happens there. But in this, you know, we're basically saying that kids left to their own devices won't be able to develop that power structure because even John, the the leader of this group, he sort of doesn't know what to do as the leader of the group. Yeah, but you know? they still develop the same power structure. Well, there, there is a there is power there, but but ultimately, you know, they they use that power to play games. They play teacher, and they you know bonk bonk on the head. Right. But that's only when the adults come around. So, like for that other intervening three hundred years, what are, what are they doing? They're sitting around in a in a toy shop or in the school <laughs> the schoolroom doing nothing, <laughs> you know, except running away from every time a uh, a zombified one of their. Uh, adolescent brothers or sisters comes after them and then dies you know you this know? would this would actually be a really interesting novel mm -hmm. i mean this would be a really like to examine okay how does the society of children actually deal and by the way how do we have a second earth i mean maybe mm -hmm. maybe part of the problem with with you know what the message or what the philosophy or what the ideas might be is the fact that they were you know limited to 50 minutes the runtime on this episode is 50 minutes and you got to take out Two minutes for credit, so forty-eight minutes. You got forty-eight minutes of, of story here, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's you know there's actually a lot that could be written into and about this episode, but um, tough to do in forty-eight minutes, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now I've also yeah. got to say, you know, your whole likening them to Peter Pan, you're just so. I mean, you you're just like a giant conformist from way back. <laughs> this goes back to the whole Charlie X episode too, where you're like, yeah. oh, well, obviously the message here is Charlie needs to. Straighten up and fly right. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> Which is well but, but see, here, here's the thing, though. I, I, I don't know that 
personally that I am such a conformist because I, I'm sitting down watching these shows going, okay, this is 1960s. This is counterculture. This is a progressive show. And, and I'm kind of waiting for that moment. I'm kind of waiting for the message to be, be a nonconformist. Go out on your own. Forget what the man tells you. But what we keep seeing here is the man, the Federation, <laughs> coming in and saying, nope, we're going to clean up this mess. Yep. You know, Kirk, Kirk says it right out. He just says, I always suspected that children need adults. Right. Well, yeah, the, the yeah, children, yeah. yes, that they want to be part of it and that they need them. Right. He does mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the man actually is sort of represented by the Federation here, comes in and says, you're going to die if you don't pay attention to what I say. That's now, right. In the science fiction case, this is absolutely true. But in the historical context, right, of, of like mm-hmm. tuning in, turning on, dropping out which really didn't hit until 67 and this was 66. So, I mean, it's not going to be a Mm -hmm. mantra for like another year or two, but it was bubbling up. You know, this idea was here we have, you know, one of the three networks and Captain Kirk saying, remember kids, even in the 23rd century, father knows best. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's hard to escape that, that message here, but I mean, but, but let's look at, I mean, let's look at, okay. So it goes through Desilu, which is a production company. It Mm -hmm. goes through NBC, which is a major network. It's a story about the Federation, which is this quasi-military thing. I mean, I know they're an exploration veg, ve, uh, vessel. Excuse right. me. Wessel, as I like to say. <laughs> Wessels. Yeah. I know that they're an exploration vessel, but they've got a captain. They've got lieutenants. Yeah. They've got a second officer. They've got, they've got braids on their arms indicating, okay, do I really have to listen to him? Well, no, he's only got one braid, so I need to listen to the guy with the two braids more. I mean, they are... I mean, they are. I mean, they're, they're a power structure. They're 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 a thing. They're a thing with the top, and then a whole bunch of you know, like like tapering off to other people, other people, other people with less and less power. So yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, it's sort of a counterculture idea in that. Hey, guess what? We're going to get to the 23rd century without blowing ourselves up. So maybe don't worry quite as much about everything that's on the news. But I mean, at the <laughs> same time, I mean, it's still you know, it's Captain somebody and Lieutenant somebody and Lieutenant somebody else. And you you know, even if we haven't heard it yet in the series, if there's a captain, there must be an admiral. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, the, he's answering to somebody. The, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there's still, I mean, the, the power structure, the man is still alive and well in the 23rd century, I guess would be the thing. Oh, sure. And, and I would just have to say, though, that uh, maybe this does reveal uh, a love of conformity on my part. But if I was stuck for five minutes on that planet with those kids, I would just want to escape back to adult land. I mean, that, that seemed uh, awful. <laughs> you know, the kids running rampant um, with hammers, you know, okay, it couldn't well, get much worse than that. Remember, Although, though, it, it, you, you, know, Kirk, you, you would have been a kid. Uh, well, as a kid, I, you know, maybe, but no, as an adult, certainly not. I think you're viewing it with your 50 something year old eyes. (laughs) Maybe my 50 something. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. Um, But, you know, Kirk puts Rand, he doesn't really put her in her place, but he kind of shuts down her idea when, when they realize what's going on. And she says, Oh, you know, to be eternally young, that sounds like a dream. And then he says, I wouldn't examine that dream very closely. You know, he, he knows what's up. And he, he, he basically is putting the smack down on this idea of living in this sort of uh, eternally young and eternally, because of that eternally immature way. 
Yeah, but again, he's, I mean, he's watching a, a joke about, you know, you seeming incredibly old whenever we talk about conformity. <laughs> but, I mean, he he is approaching it with, with uh, certainly an older set of eyes. I mean, would a kid be yeah. happy being a kid for forever? I mean, I knew one kid, I, I knew one kid in the fifth grade who was reading The World According to Garp. Okay, that kid mm. would not yeah. have been happy being a kid forever. His right. best friend and I, you know, when we were 10, I, I think we were kind of enjoying being 10. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When he says the whole thing about it, I wouldn't examine it too closely. Well, no, because, you know, you're a starship captain. Yeah. <laughs> you've got, yeah, right, I mean, you've right. got years of experience and you've got, you know, things that you've accomplished. But if you're, you know, six, you like trains. Mm. <laughs> you like mm-hmm. you like playing bonk bonk, you know. I mean, <laughs> you're not you're not thinking. Eh, yeah, it'll be much better when I actually have bills to pay. Right. There was one thing that I found interesting about this show, about this episode in particular, as far as um, messages, morals, meanings, what have you. Uh, mm-hmm. I find it interesting that for the second week in a row, life prolongation, which is what they called it, uh, the experiment in the episode, mm-hmm. life prolongation is what gets us. Right. And what are little girls made of? Dr. Roger Corby tried to cheat death by uploading himself into an android body. That did Mm -hmm. not go well. Uh, Not at all. This week we find all the grops trying to figure out how to live forever. And instead they make the kids practically live forever, but they kill themselves in doing it. Yeah. Now at the same time. And and the kids pay a price for it, though, because when they do die, they die a horrible death. Yeah, that's true. Well, Mm -hmm. after 300 years. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the toll is pretty big, but you know the journey, you know, three hundred years. It's just everything's yeah. everything's broken at that point. At the same right. time, though, to say that you know, it it feels like to say so. Trying to live forever is what's going to get us. Uh, almost counters the counter counter culture argument that mm. the show seems to be making. You know why? You know the whole thing about well, listen to us kids because we know what we're talking about. Um, but the problem is everybody over, well, 14 is dead, right? Yeah. It was yeah. the scientists. It was the grownups. It was the people who wanted to live forever that ended up killing themselves. So on the one hand, you've got Kirk sailing in and say, no, trust me, I'm a grownup. I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, the kids are like, well, did you see what happened to the last grownups? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a weird sort of, I mean, that's sort of, I don't want to say it's a flaw in the logic, but it's, you know, I don't blame the kids for not wanting to listen to the grownups because what happens when they get the disease is they turn violent, mm-hmm. they go crazy, and then they die. So, yeah, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. I want to do is listen to you, knowing yeah. that that's what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Well, it's just the right adults that they have to listen to. They listen to the wrong adults the last time around. <laughs> the ones who aren't sick yet, but all the right. adults get sick. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm glad that you brought up, uh, again, what are little girls made of? Because Kirk uses a bit of the same logic on these kids that he did on the androids and what are little girls made of. So when all the kids are surrounding Kirk and they're beating him up with hammers and going bonk, bonk on his head, and he he turns it around after he does a miraculous escape by walking away, uh, as you pointed out, um, he, he basically turns around and he says, look, now you're the ones with blood on your hands. Your, your perfect little world here where you are kids who never grow up, who, who never get old, who, you know, at least have a very long time before you die. Um, you think that this is better than life with adults and under uh, sort of a more conventional structure because you think that the adults are the bad guys. Well, look at what you're doing to me and look at what you're doing to yourselves. 
And that's kind of the same thing that he said to Corby in What Are, what are Little Girls Made Of? Yeah. Your perfect world with these androids who have been programmed to your standards are now turning on each other, killing each other, and they're about to kill you. Yeah. So robot logic works on children, I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't say robot logic. We we cannot re-argue what are little girls made of. <laughs> okay. We can't re-argue that this week. Go back and listen to last week. If you want to hear me go truly loopy, go back and listen to last week. I will say there was one thing that I did love about this, and it's sort of like if you want to pull out a nugget of hope mm-hmm. uh, from this episode or in this episode, no, this was not the message, but this is just one of those things where it's a throwaway thing. It's something that doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even actually come up, but I personally like it. I like mm-hmm. the fact that even in the 23rd century, we can evolve in our thinking. We can, we can say, you know, this could probably be a little bit better. How, mm-hmm. do, how, do, how does John uh, thwart Kirk and the away team? So he, uh, when they've left the lab, mm-hmm. the kids go in and steal the communicators because okay. they, yeah, exactly. they know that's how they talk to the other grups. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I'm a little confused why everybody took off their communicators and left them on the table. But let's go ahead and let's, let's say that there's a perfectly good reason <laughs> that nobody is walking around with a communicator, even though they have a little carrier that's right on their belt. Let's, let's go ahead and say there was a good reason for that. Okay. Okay. This All may right. have been the moment. Or maybe, you know, back at Starfleet when they were reading the report of what happened on this other planet that's Earth, but not really. This may have been when somebody said, hey, you know what? You know, if we made like the badges that they wear, like a communicator, then then they wouldn't lose their communicator. <laughs> right. And, and, and to me, it was it was sort of it was it was sort of heartening. You know, I mean, we've got so much mm-hmm. wonderful technology at this point. We've got smartphones. We've got tablets. We've got computers. We've got, you know, TVs bigger than most houses. At this point, mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I, I love the fact, though, that that even like when we get so advanced in our technology, there's still a chance to say, but you know what would make this really good? I like the fact that we're not done. I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. I like the fact that even when it seems like that would be the pinnacle, that's it. There's just no point in even working on this anymore. You know, if somebody said, well, what if we made it blue? Oh, yeah. wow. My, <laughs> you, oh, you are you are not wrong, my friend. I think mentioning smartphones today, I think, is the perfect analogy because I think somewhere in the 23rd century, somebody got sick of going out to dinner with their friends and everybody puts their communicator on the table, you know, <laughs> and then they're going off and then you're like paying attention to it more than you are to your dinner guests. They're like, all right, forget it. We're going to sew these on. We're going to make it part of the outfit. And then we don't have that problem anymore. Then we can look each other in the eye when we're at dinner. Wow. So it's going to take us another... 300 years before we're actually paying attention to each other again hey all those kids on that planet have time with so much to offer do the production messages and morals of miri stand the test of time I believe it was Weezer who said, this is beginning to hurt. This is beginning to be serious. Three questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ow. Was there an overriding meaning or moral or message in this episode? And if there was, what was it? Um, I don't think there was a single overriding moral. But I think the, the, the th- two interesting things here are one, the cost of messing with nature, mm-hmm. you know, doing this experiment to extend life has consequences. So yeah. I think that's an interesting uh, uh, 
line of logic, an interesting line of discussion to go down. And then the other thing is this question about do people need authority? Do they need uh, an adult presence? And and if so, how much do they need? And what is the right kind that they need? And were these kids justified in distrusting adults? So I think those are the two things going on here. Um, I think there are interesting topics to discuss, but I don't think there is a single moral to be learned out of it. I think there are just mistakes that were made it's the and same, problems that need to be cleaned up. It's the same cautionary tale. I mean, when you say the whole thing about yeah, messing with Mother Nature, it's the same sort of cautionary tale that we get in Frankenstein, that we get in Jurassic Park, that we get mm-hmm. in um, Frankenstein. <laughs> I mean that we yeah, get right. that we get from like all over science fiction, um, uh, not Terminator exactly, but uh, maybe. I mean, basically, just you know, going too far, trying to trying to recreate man or sort of recreate life in our own image, um, almost never ends up going well in science fiction. The robot novels by Isaac Asimov seems to go okay in those, mm-hmm. but um, mostly. But um, well, we, we've talked about this a lot in Star Trek so far, just in the episodes that we've done, where you have the responsibility that comes along with the technology, mm-hmm. you know. So the technology here was a noble one, life extension. Of course, of course, we want to have life extension right now on this planet. There are scientists who are working very hard to do that, um, uh, but either it was deployed too quickly, it wasn't tested correctly, whatever it was that happened in this episode. Um, and then the same thing, again, goes back to Corby and what are little girls made of. Maybe not a bad idea. I know your feelings about it. Not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you're, waiting, you're waiting for the day when we can download you and we will do this podcast for another thousand years excuse Um, me upload me thank you very much upload you sorry yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but but the cost of responsibility that comes along with that is the key thing here now you see i'm not sure that that would actually be the message here though it seems to me that the message the message with frankenstein the message with jurassic park the message with this is don't do it right Mm. i mean it seems Mm -hmm. to me that's actually i mean if you're going to pull that message out if you're going to say so we're monkeying with life the answer doesn't seem to be, okay, but do it carefully. The answer seems to be, no, don't do it, because look what happened when this happened. Uh, you know, Victor ended up chasing the monster all across the ends of the earth, and they both died. Or, you know, the the dinosaur ate the bad guy. Or, you know, these, I mean, they, they left children alone for 300 years. <laughs> well, but, but, here, but here's the thing. So, so we don't know those scientists, okay? And apparently their level of development had ended in what would be the equivalent of the middle of the 20th century on Earth. Right. But, but as the viewer, I do trust Spock and I do trust Dr. McCoy. And if they're looking at this and going, huh, okay, they were on to something here. They got it wrong. We need to reverse it. But maybe there's some nugget of wisdom in what these scientists were doing, some piece of of their research that we can take back oh, wait a minute, and though. use and use when we can do it right. You're going back in universe though, and I'm talking about outside. Outside this isn't a yeah, stable. I mean outside yeah, yeah. this is a, you know, be happy with what you've got kind yeah. of thing, it seems to me. Inside, you're right. I mean, inside, you can look at it and say they may have been onto something scientifically, but even if they were onto something scientifically, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were onto something ethically or morally. Right, right. 
I don't know. I mean, it seems. I mean, it it strikes me as as interesting, maybe even telling that two weeks in a row. Not that the one week necessarily has anything to do with other the other, because we talked about production order versus broadcast order. We've talked about the fact that there are a million different writers, not really a million, because that would be mm-hmm. at least a million episodes. But I mean, there are several you know writers writing it, and so that that we have the same theme from one week to the next doesn't necessarily mean this is going to be an overriding theme. But. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't. It, it didn't. It didn't seem to me to be um, practice genetics, but do it responsibly. It seemed to me that the answer was, "Oh, don't do it because trouble." Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say practice your genetics responsibly. And the other moral here: listen, listen to your parents. <laughs> that, uh, that's what they're saying. Listen to the adults. See, I'm not sure. I, I don't. Yeah. Okay. So then, do these stand the test of time? I know what you're thinking is going to be Boy Scout. Well. <laughs> Well, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the the part of it standing the test of time about uh, the the reliance and the uh, the reliance on and the wisdom that comes with maturity and mm-hmm. comes with a grown up presence. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it does stand the test of time. See, you joked earlier that it has to be the right grown ups, but that's actually true. Yeah, I mean, there are there are all around the world and in this country. People who will tell you whatever they think you want to hear so that they can be those people at the head of the table. Right. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be partisan about it because I'm not being partisan about it. I believe that that is true for Democrats, Republicans, and independents here in the states. And uh, it must be true for other political parties around the world. Um, it's not ju- – I mean, age is not necessarily maturity. That's the problem. I mean, those kids were living on a planet where people had built buildings – where they had actually had children, where they presumably had families and social structures like we have, you know, here on Earth today or like we had on the Earth in the 1960s. And they blew it. They killed themselves and they wrecked the society. So, I mean, it can't just be conformity. At the same time, it's just luck of the draw that you ended up with Kirk showing up. What if the Romulans had found that planet? Or what if the Klingons had found that planet? Or what if Harry Mudd had found that planet? (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's not, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's to say, I mean, it's not just about trusting authority, but it's about, you know, the right authority in a way, right? because the right. authorities that were there were right until they killed everybody. Mm-hmm. And even though they didn't mean to do it, even if they had the best of intentions, they still killed everybody. So I don't, yeah. it's, I, I'm not, I mean, I think you have to parse down what that moral is going to be and having to parse it down so much, I'm not sure. I mean, just trusting authority cannot be it because there have been too many times over the past, well, however many years we've had authority. There have been too many times where authority has been abused by the people who hold it. And so just to say, trust your elders, I mean, no. I think that was, I think that was the 1950s and 1960s and, and before that idea. But I'm not sure if, if we're going to say just the blanket is maturity equals maturity or age equals maturity – or longevity equals maturity. No, disagree. No, and I and I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I think the uh, the more accurate thing for me to say or to have said is that there has to be a maturing influence, and uh, whether that is something that those kids find on their own or as a, a collection of their experiences. But the problem is, those kids will never experience anything beyond simply playing their stupid games 
So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it has to do with the the right kind of influence and, and multiple influences. Um, we have no idea what's in store for them at uh, Space Command, <laughs> where they're going. You know, <laughs> but but they are lucky that Kirk found them and and not Harry Mudd. Although yeah. it might have been a very interesting show if uh, if a bunch of Klingons had found them. I don't know. Well, I mean, then you've got the whole you know possibility of using the contagion against the humans. I mean, that's again, mm. and again. I mean, it, 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 should we do the thing? Does this production yeah. stand the test of time? Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah, um, see, n- neither of us wants to do it, and I think we all know why. I know, as a production, uh, gosh, this is just weak. I mean, I, I applaud the cast and crew here of Star Trek for doing something outside going to a back lot. But wow. Um, when you set up this idea of alternate earth and it just happens to look exactly like the back lot behind us. Um, first of all, you, you've got a problem there. Yeah. It just sort of looks like, well, we ran out of ideas. Um, the makeup is mostly pretty bad, but but I did give a shout out for the uh, the effect, and it's a very very simple effect. It's the same kind of Jekyll and Hyde or or werewolf effect. The the transformation at the end when you see the lesions start to disappear from McCoy's face, it's a really easy effect. But they did it very well in yeah. this episode. You yeah, know? don't misund- um, don't misunderstand. I mean, there's there there's a great moment with bones. I mean, they're, they're, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it's not like the acting is terrible. It's not like, well, suddenly they're using cardboard props. I mean, there's mm-hmm. actually a great mm-hmm. thing when he when he sets the phaser to stun. I believe this is the first time that we see the uh, the beam from the phaser is blue instead mm-hmm. of red because he's not trying to kill anything. He's just trying to knock something out. I mean, right. there, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of things about it that are OK. And honestly, the makeup didn't even bother me that much because that thing grossed me out and that second thing <laughs> grossed me out and those things growing on them grossed me out. Yeah. Where this episode becomes fun, it seems to me, is in thinking of all of the possibilities that they could have done. Like if you yeah. want to, as you say, retcon, it's not a term that I use very often, but if you, mm-hmm. if, or, or fan fiction or whatever you want to say, if you want to start someplace that gives you a million places to go, you could start with this episode because Okay, second Earth, really? Or, okay, what if the Klingons did find these kids? Because then, mm-hmm. assuming that they've got the intelligence, maybe you want the Romulans to find it if you want a good story. I mean, somebody who's smart enough to say, this contagion could be used against the Federation. Yeah. I wonder what that would be like. Or, you know, try or try harnessing whatever from the kids. Find somebody who actually, you know, does it right, if you want to use the right and wrong as far as what the scientists have done in the past. Right. So, so... And then the other thing I'll say is we obviously both like Star Trek. So to say something bad about an episode is not to say, you know, that Star Trek is bad. That said, this episode does not work. I mean, it yeah. just it just and I wish it did because I want everyone to work. But Kirk, I mean, you mentioned in the thing with um, about how Miri is developing feelings for him. Do you want to know why? Because Kirk is hitting on Miri. Yeah, it's a little weird. He's sort of. At the very beginning, it looks like he's doing the nice guy thing, like, "Hey, I'm I'm your friend. I'm just nope. trying to talk you down." I'm trying, nope. but then, nope. but then you have the dreamy lighting on him, and you have that little bit of sweat on the brow. Except and the, uh, when he finds yeah. her in the closet, is the only time that I thought he was just being friendly with her. And when he takes her and sits her in the chair, <laughs> but then when he comes back and he sits on the arm of the chair and he says, "Hey, what's your name?" She You're says, a very pretty I'm girl, Mary. He's like, "Oh, that's yeah. a very pretty name." For a very pretty young lady. Uh. You think I'm pretty? 
<laughs> I think you're 12 and a half. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to be prepubescent, and obviously the, the character looked a little bit older than that, but she's a little young for Kirk. And he yeah. like, immediately, now granted, it's one way to maybe disarm her. It's one way to get her talking. It's creepy. And it doesn't quit being creepy the whole way through. I mean, and even if the rest of this episode was as tight as a drum, even if everything in this episode worked, that 1966 30-year-old guy or however old uh, Shatner was at the time hitting on what is supposed to be a 13-year-old girl, not going to fly in the 21st century. I mean, just not no, no. not even, not, I mean, not not for a minute. Right. Is that going right. to fly with an audience today? It, it, it is strange. It's like he has one mode when it comes to his interaction with women, uh, uh, just to turn on the charm, you know. But then it's very odd because when he's with Yeoman Rand, at first it's very businesslike, but then she exposes that she's had these feelings for him, which we've seen pieces of throughout yeah. preceding episodes. And then I always try to get you to look at my legs, which just seems very out of place. I understand well, you're dying, she's but going come crazy. on. No, no, she's going yeah. crazy, too. I mean, don't forget the contagion drives them mad while it's yeah, killing them. Very so, true. I mean, she's going to say things that she wouldn't necessarily, you know, normally say. Again, sort of like um, sort of like what happened in the naked time. Right, right. I mean, all of a sudden they're confessing things that they, you know, really shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, they're crazy. But, but it is that. So, you know, the, the production side of the story here is that um, – you know, Yeoman Rand was part of the crew and Grace Lee Whitney, the actor playing Yeoman Rand, um, left the show very soon after this episode for numerous uh, uh, issues, problems that came up. And you can read all about that in her book. Um, we won't get into the details here, um, but kinda, it is. It's kind of too bad because we had. Was it in the naked time mm -hmm. when we had Kirk saying, you've seen my Yeoman, you yeah. know? And and yeah. so he has confessed fairly early on that he's got feelings for her. And then we've got her confessing here that she's got feelings for him. This, again, would be sort of the whole how this episode might have paid off. If, 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 if she had actually stayed with the show, and I'm not saying she should have because I don't, you know, her reasons – Fine. I mean, I, sure, you know, yeah. I understand why people people make decisions that you, you wish they didn't make or you wish they didn't have to make, but they do. Had she stayed with the show, though, we might have actually seen something that we don't often get in television in the 60s, uh, like a story arc, like, mm -hmm. a, like a continuing story arc where we might have actually seen them eventually something happen between them. Because I love the fact that he says it. And then several episodes later, she says it. Oh, interesting. That might have been great. Except, of course, um, well, this episode is – I don't know if this is her last episode as far as broadcast goes, but as far as um, as far as working with the show. Um, yeah, and no, no, there is uh, another episode that she appears in briefly, but I think this is her last big moment. And I, you know what? I have to say that I think that we avoided a jump the shark moment here because you could only keep this thing going on for so long where it's this it, – this, um, seething bit of intrigue that he really likes her she really likes him but his duty is to the ship and then the show becomes about that and we don't want the show to be about that we understand that kirk's loyalty is to the ship and it plays out every now and then um but i think that would be too much of a distraction to have it there all the time I don't so know. I, I think the, I, I think it helped us avoid that the jump the shark moment i think would be when they had the baby <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it's it's when superman tells Lo or clark 
Kent tells Lois Lane that he's Superman. And then look, look what happened to Lois and Clark. It's all downhill after that. Right. So I, I think we avoided that with Star Trek, fortunately. So sadly, I mean, yep. I think we have to say, um, unfortunately, no, this, this episode doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't stand up today. No, I'm afraid not. I, I think that we were kind of on a roll here. And um, when we were looking at uh, what a little girl's made of, like I like the parallels between that story and this story. Yeah. And if you look at what a little girl's made of as an interesting story about androids and you look at this as an interesting story about children run amok. OK, cool. But um, all the great things about where we've been and what we just saw and what a little girl's made of kind of it, it takes the wind out of the sails when you watch an episode like Mary. Um, but as we found, there are some some meaning, some interesting uh, uh, intellectual ways to discuss the show. Um, going back to, to what we did say, um, talking about authority, talking about wisdom, talking about um, playing around with Mother Nature, the dark side of Peter Pan. I think all of that is interesting stuff. It just didn't work as a production, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of a drag. But hey, you know, we got another episode next week, so roll the dice and take your chances. That's right. And uh, if people disagree or agree with us, where would they find us, Ken? I have no idea. Oh, wait. They can uh, comment on one of our episodes or an idea. Or, you know, about this one, about, you know, one from the past, maybe one that's coming up. We do want to hear from you. Twitter would be a great place to do that. The screen name is at Mission Log Pod, at Mission Log Pod, if you want to follow us there. And, of course, uh, you know, shoot us a thing and we'll shoot you back. Or you can email us, uh, missionlog at roddenberry.com, missionlog at roddenberry.com. You can also leave us a voicemail on Skype at Mission Log Pod. Or you can give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Your comments may be played on a future episode of Mission Log. Next week, Star Trek gets psychological. It's Dagger of the Mind. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I wonder if Space Central is hiring. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.